Welcome back to another edition of the Borders Extra Podcast here on jconline.com through SoundCloud. And it's Bucket Week in Indiana. And if you don't know what that means, then Google it. And if you do know what it means, then you can stick around and we'll talk old oak and bucket. We'll also talk a little bit of hoops, uh, Big Ten hoops, as uh, the guest today is the fine, esteemed gentleman that works for the Indianapolis Star. And no, his name is not Greg Doyle. I was, yeah, I was going to say, like, it's, that counts literally anyone but me. This is Zach Osterman from the Indianapolis Star. He's the IU guy. He's all Indiana all the time. Uh, he writes about the Hoosiers football, basketball, maybe some baseball. Don't know if he's covered field hockey recently. I don't know if they have a field hockey team. But Zach is all IU, and he's joining us today. Uh, to talk about the bucket game and probably some basketball a little bit later. So, Zach, thanks. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, appreciate you jumping on today. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving uh, to you as well. It's it's. I still can never decide if I think this game should be last weekend or this coming weekend. <laughs> we just had this conversation on our pad- podcast, but I, I grew up in the South, and, and I grew up my family's loyalties anyway were kind of split between Georgia Tech and Auburn and it used to be wonderful because you know when you're a 12 year old kid and you just love sports uh, the Auburn-Georgia game is a huge rivalry and it was on one weekend and then the weekend before it was two weekends before Thanksgiving the weekend before Thanksgiving was Auburn-Alabama and the weekend after Thanksgiving was Tech-Georgia and so my, my house would get ramped up three straight weekends for big games and now it just sort of feels like we, we cram all these rivalries together at the end of the year and I get why we do it but it, it does feel like it loses something somewhere along the way well saying that you want to hear my crazy idea for this rivalry and I know, I know you do because this is a podcast and this is the platform to do that. <laughs> well, no. I, I My crazy idea is to open the season, Purdue and IU, September, Thursday, I could, Thursday night. I could, yeah, I could get – like every time or just uh, – Well, like, I, would, I, I, would, I, would, I would experiment it for a couple years, do a home and away, uh, just kind of see how the offseason buzz goes. Uh, and then take it from there. Yeah, there, there's plenty of ramifications if you do that because who are you playing in the last week of the of the season? Is does that Rutgers. Be, does, yeah. <laughs> well, both, both teams play Rutgers. Rutgers <laughs> has to play Indiana at noon and Purdue at 12:30. It's, it's it's part of the Big Ten contract. That's right. I'm sorry, but if you want your full cut of TV money, you're going to have to do this for us. Right. Yeah, well, I I didn't think of that about that, but I think that would be a novel idea. Uh, but yeah, my, my crazy idea is to play it at the beginning of the year and just let the off season kind of serve as the springboard for, uh, for, for the momentum and the hype for the game. I mean, I just, why, why not? Why not try it? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you what, I'm for it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, Except not next year because Indiana opens at Wisconsin and I've never been to Camp Randall for a game. So I, I would like to go to Wisconsin to open next season but then the season after that we'll do it the season after that okay i, I think we can get the big 10 schedule changed uh <laughs> for, for for them to uh to do that but that that's my crazy idea and i we'll see we'll see eventually if what happens i, I don't think anything happens to this game uh just because it just won't there's just too many 
I mean, if you, if Indiana doesn't play Purdue on the final weekend, as you mentioned, I mean, who who are they going to play, and who are other teams going to play? And you're not you're not going to disrupt Ohio State, Michigan. You're probably not going to disrupt Minnesota, Wisconsin. You could probably disrupt Northwestern and Illinois. Well, I mean, again, Michigan State plays Rutgers. Yep. Yep. It's yeah. That, that that age old rivalry. And I, I would go as far as saying this that. Any any idea of Purdue and Indiana playing other than the last weekend probably would not happen until the conference expands again, uh, and then that that's that could be in the next five or six years, just because from a scheduling standpoint, it's just not it wouldn't be feasible right now. Anyway, we've we've wasted a few minutes on that. Let's get to the important topic of about this game, uh, breakthrough year for IU. Um, Seven wins before they get to the bucket game. Uh, was that something that you saw coming? Uh, you know, schedule and everything else. They've had injuries, but uh, kind of kind of assess where Indiana's at right now uh, with their season and kind of w- what's on the line Saturday for them. Yeah, it's it's not something I saw coming. Um, I guess the way I'd say it, when people ask me preseason what I thought of Indiana, I said I thought they'd be better than they were in 2018, but I thought they still might wind up in that five and seven sort of bracket or, or at very least, you know, five and six going into that. I think, I think actually when we did our football preseason podcast, I, I posed the question to everybody in the room. I said, do you think Indiana will be five and six again going into the bucket game? And I think everybody said yes. Um, and it was because of what we thought of the schedule at the time. You know, there was a lot of optimism around Maryland with Mike Loxley's hiring. Northwestern had just won the Big Ten West. Nebraska, and, and you know, listen, I was probably as guilty as anyone of, of overstating Nebraska's growth in year two under Scott Frost. But there were still reasons to be optimistic about Nebraska. And Indiana playing Nebraska at Nebraska is just not a game you would favor Indiana in very often. And so it felt like Indiana had, had just kind of been handed some tough crossovers, some tough scheduling. And then actually the way it fell out, Indiana had been handed maybe its most favorable schedule in a while in the Big Ten because it, it not only got Maryland as Maryland was losing the last of that sort of preseason momentum and Nebraska, while Nebraska had its own injury problems and Adrian Martinez wasn't playing and then Northwestern, of course, at kind of the bottom of Northwestern's whatever we call this season in in Evanston, but it got all of those teams back to back to back after playing Rutgers. And so it wasn't even broken up by, okay, you get to play these games that look more manageable, but in the middle, you're going to have to go take, you know, your beating at Ohio state or something like that. They just kind of got to run through all four of those teams and get to seven wins almost kind of without thinking about it in a way, which I think maybe is a little bit important for this team that it, it, it could just kind of get all that done without ever getting swept up in the hype, so to speak. Um, so in one sense, I'm, I'm not surprised Indiana's better than it was a year ago. Um, but I think I just didn't expect the schedule to kind of level off to beat the Hoosiers the way that it, it kind of has. And to Indiana's credit, I've seen plenty of IU teams in the past not really take advantage of those kinds of opportunities and wind up 5-7 and seven or 4-8 and eight or, or maybe even 6-6 six and six when you could look at it and say reasonably they should have won a couple more games than they did. This group so far, anyway, has capitalized on its opportunities and, you know, basically just done the thing Indiana's needed to learn how to do for years, which is beat the bad teams on its schedule, get to bowl eligibility, and then work ahead from there. And, they, and they've done it with a series of injuries, playing multiple quarterbacks and 
guys in and out of the lineup, similar to what what has happened with Purdue. But you know, Purdue hasn't Purdue wasn't able to overcome some of the major injuries they suffered. But IU has, and what, why have they been able to uh, put themselves in this position with some of the key injuries that they've suffered this year? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing I say is that I don't think I think Indiana's certainly been more fortunate with injuries than Purdue. Um, you know, I mean, if you pulled Watt Fillier out of this team, for example, for the entire season, I, I'm confident Indiana is not where it is. And, and, and that, you know, I think Rondale Moore is probably a better player than Watt Fillier, but I think Fillier is similar in impact to Indiana to what Rondale Moore is to Purdue. And I think that if you look at last week and the way Indiana struggled offensively against Michigan um, in a way that it hadn't, frankly, since the Ohio State game in September, I don't think it was a mistake that Watt Fillier doesn't play in that game because he's in concussion protocol. He will be back this week. It's, it's worth saying. Um, I think you know the, the the biggest injuries for Indiana have obviously been at left tackle with Coy Cronk and at quarterback with the, the sort of Michael Penix, Peyton Ramsey rotation that's been forced. Um, at left tackle, I don't want to say Indiana's gotten fortunate because Indiana's coaching staff fought like the devil to hold on to Matthew Bedford, their freshman left tackle. Um, in the last recruiting cycle, uh, South Carolina and Mississippi State both tried to be He's from Tennessee. Both the SEC schools tried to get him to flip. He stuck with Indiana. He enrolled early and turned out to be probably even better, I would say, at least early on in his career than Indiana could have hoped for. Now, he may not play on, on Saturday. In fact, if you ask me right now, we haven't talked to Tom Allen yet today, but um, I, I would I would bet you it's more likely than not he doesn't play based on kind of the way that it seemed like Indiana came out of last weekend with him. He was injured against Michigan. Um, but he has really steadied the ship on the left side of the offensive line in a way that you just could never have expected a freshman to be able to do with Coy Cronk out. And then the quarterback position, I mean, Peyton Ramsey's just, he's playing head and shoulders above what he's ever done before. And he was a, a good quarterback. He was a fine quarterback before. Um, but it's it's been really just kind of remarkable to look at his growth this season. And, and obviously Michael Penix is as well. And I think a lot of that's a credit really to Kalen DeBoer, Indiana's offensive, first year offensive coordinator, who has done just an outstanding job. Um, building an offense that understands how to play to its strengths, to mask its weaknesses, um, that, that uses a lot of different formations, um, you know, pre-snap movements, um, mixes run and pass very well, and just keeps opponents off balance with a variety of different kind of approaches. Um, and what you've gotten, basically, if, you know, I've, I've actually had a couple conversations with pro football focus guys. It's remarkable how similar Penix's and Ramsey's numbers are. Penix is a little bit more explosive for the air. He's got a stronger arm. Ramsey is a little bit more accurate, which isn't a surprise. Uh, but by and large, they have both put up very, very good numbers and very, very similar numbers at quarterback for Indiana this season. And I think that's how Indiana's been able to survive you know, it's, it's preseason starting quarterback being in and out and then in and out and then in and then out for the season. If you kind of look at the, the complexion of how Michael Penix has moved through the raw, uh, uh, I've, I've lost myself in this, but basically how Penix's injuries have kind of unfolded through the season. Yeah, I was going to ask, just on a significant scale, bringing in the offensive coordinator, how big of a deal was that at uh, in, in, in Tom Allen's tenure, and obviously the results do kind of speak for themselves that this this is probably going to be looked at as uh, 
significant uh, step in the program of, uh, of the program, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Indiana's probably going to wind up in a situation where they're going to have to pay Jalen Moore over a million dollars to hold on to him if they have any chance this offseason. And, and I, I could be wrong, but, um, you know, it's DeBoer's an interesting guy. Um you know, kind of shares maybe some, some similarities in his career trajectory to Tom Allen. He played at uh, the University of Sioux Falls and then was the head coach there and won, I think, three NAIA national titles there and then basically went into Division One at kind of the bottom end as an offensive coordinator, was at Southern Illinois, was at Eastern Michigan, was at Fresno State. And, you know, everywhere he was as an offensive coordinator – you saw improvement, typically actually from year one to year two, rather than year zero to year one. Um, but I think one thing that, that struck you when you looked at DeVore, and you looked at DeVore's resume and where he'd been, and then we talked to him in the offseason, he wasn't used to being in places where you had a lot of advantages. You know, he coached in a lot of places that um, you would consider you know, pretty modest jobs, even for their conference, like Eastern Michigan is an example. Um, You know, places where you have to be a little bit more creative, places where a coach probably has to, you know, kind of be the great equalizer in some some scenarios. Um, And I think that's really helped him at Indiana. And I also just think it's been a a good marriage of a couple of really good years of recruiting. Um, You know, when you talk about guys like Stevie Scott, Peyton Hendershot, Watt Fillier, Tyrese Freifogel, obviously you look at an offensive line that has played very well through injuries this season, and then of course Michael Penix and Peyton Ramsey, um, to an offensive coordinator that I think has just surpassed every, you know, even everyone's most hopeful uh, expectations and his ability to kind of make his system fit this personnel. Indiana scored 30 or more points in, I think, nine of its 11 games this season. Um, obviously, they put up 38 in Nebraska. Um, you know, they were they, they could have put up more against teams like Rutgers and Northwestern, but probably got kind of protective of their playbook as the games went on, as those games went on. Um, and Indiana's just been so remarkably efficient offensively. Um, I don't know if Ramsey still leads the league in, in uh, completion percentage after last weekend, but he led it going into last weekend. And this has been the most accurate season of his career. And to give context to that, if his career ended today, he would be the most accurate quarterback in over his entire career in Big Ten history. So, um, I mean, DeBoer has been a huge piece of all of this, maybe bigger than any individual player's performance has been the way that he's been able to fit all these pieces together on offense for Indiana. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like uh, offensively things are moving uh, in the right direction there. Defensively, where do things stand with this group coming into this bucket game? Uh, still moving in the right direction. I mean, Indiana's better than it was a season ago. Um, I think a lot of that's attributable to another year, um, you know, just, just another year of growth for a, a defense that was very young by the end of last season. I think some of it's also attributable to Tom Allen kind of feeling, finally feeling comfortable turning the defense over to a coordinator. He ran it for his first two seasons as head coach, and I think that that probably stretched everybody just a little bit too thin, so he elevated his linebackers coach. Uh, Kane Womack, who'd been a, a, a defensive coordinator at South Alabama and Eastern Illinois before in the same system. Um, actually, Allen basically learned the 4-2-5 from Dave Womack, who's Kane Womack's father. 
Um, I think it's it will be interesting to see how Indiana responds this weekend because I think Indiana had a string of really good defensive performances, um, even going back to a game like Nebraska where they allow 31 points, but they get some critical turnovers, some critical sacks, some big third down and fourth down stops. Um, but, you know, these last two weeks, uh, Penn State didn't beat them up a lot statistically, but still scored 34 points. And then Michigan last weekend just really, really tore them apart. I mean, essentially, Indiana couldn't get to Shea Patterson without bringing six or seven guys, which gave Patterson great one-on-one matchups with corners and safeties, you know, against big receivers. Um, and Patterson just, just, just cut them up. You know, I mean, he was just he was able to... Um, I think he threw for 366 yards and five touchdowns, if I recall correctly. And, and obviously, Michigan's personnel and the way Michigan's playing right now, I mean, I, I would contend they may be the second-best team in the Big Ten uh, at this point in the season. You know, they're, they're head and shoulders above most. But when you look at a team like Purdue and you see a receiving threat at tight end and you see David Bell doing what he's doing, and then there is always that 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 you know, nagging doubt in the back of any defensive coordinator's mind, does Rondale Moore try to come back for this game? Um, you, you do start to think, well, Indiana's defense is probably going to have its hands full on Saturday. Yeah, uh, the Rondale Moore question, I, I would I would lean towards no, just because he has not practiced uh, this week. But who knows? He could. This could be his... Uh, uh, great return to the year to the year to come out there and, and play. But if it's going to be rainy and wet and windy, they're not putting him out there to try to re-injure that hamstring in any way possible. So uh, I would think that uh, they're they're safe in knowing that Rondell probably won't play. But David Bell's had a great year. Uh, Bryson Hopkins, I think, has had a great year. And you know they're they're on their third string quarterback, walk on Aiden O'Connell, who. I mean, if you watch enough tape on him, or you watch enough of his games the last couple weeks, he's a guy that's on that is has been pretty much on the money uh, with a lot of his throws. He's had some drops, he's had some bad throws, but he's had some his accuracy. His accuracy is actually really good, and probably a little surprising, knowing his background. I mean, I, I really think that this. It's simplistic to say in a way because Indiana's best performances this season have generally, I mean, give credit to Indiana. I know Rutgers is what Rutgers is. Northwestern's been what it's been this year. But Indiana also doesn't tend to, you know, go across four games in 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 an entire season allowing six total points against anybody. So give credit to Indiana's defense where it's due. But in the games that have been competitive, Indiana's won those games on offense. You know, Indiana's won those games with its ability to score points, its ability to stay ahead on the scoreboard. And I don't just mean from a score perspective, but from the perspective of making a team chase Indiana. That was really what Indiana did against Nebraska. It's what Indiana did, what feels like, you know, 12 months ago now against Ball State, even though the season has gone remarkably quickly in my own mind, um, is, is basically make an opponent try to have to chase your points. Um, and and constantly be just relentlessly touchdowns, field goals, flipping field position, then another touchdown, then another touchdown, and on and on. Um, Indiana's just been – it hasn't been – you know, I, I think when you, when I think back to some of the best offenses I've seen at Indiana, you know, a lot of them were those Kevin Wilson offenses that could just be so explosive 
this offense isn't necessarily explosive. It's very efficient, and it's 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 kind of ruthlessly efficient at times. And I think that if Indiana is going to win this game, it's going to be with that offense putting up some points because I think Purdue's going to put up some as well. Yeah, I think this has the opportunity. The weather was really good to be a fun game because I think both teams would go up up and down the field uh, a lot uh, just because Purdue's defense has had its own problems uh, with injuries and a just ineffective play at, at, at certain positions. And, uh, in, you know, Indiana's defense has given up given up some, some points in production uh, uh, there as well. Uh, just the, um, I guess from the Indiana side, it's the Bucky game. It's important. I get all that. But Indiana can... You know, does a does a win Saturday elevate them in the bowl picture? And then, other than the bucket, what what is the motivation for this game for them? Because Purdue can't get to the bowl first time in a couple years that, other than the bucket, nothing else is really on the line for this thing. Yeah, it's funny. It is. I think it's the first time since 2014 nobody's playing for bowl eligibility in this game. I could be wrong about that, uh, but I don't think Purdue was that year, and I know Indiana wasn't. Um, I think from a, a, to answer your first question first, that the bowl field's just a giant mess right now in the Big Ten. And I've, you know, like you, with Purdue, the last couple of years, obviously, I've been tracking it with Indiana. Indiana went to bowls in 2015 and 16 and then went five and seven the next two years. So it was relevant to still have an idea of where everything stood. Um, I mean, it is more opaque and muddied than I can ever remember it being. The, the, the Big Ten ball field at this moment in time. I do think, and this is gut feeling as much as anything else, so like it's, you know, please don't take this as gospel. Um, I think Indiana maybe is going to go to Nashville either way, like win or lose. I think Indiana winds up in the Music City Bowl. I could also see them returning to the Penn Strike Bowl. I think they'd certainly prefer to go to the Music City Bowl for a variety of reasons. I do think if they win, there are one or two of uh, probably more than a dozen scenarios that could push them into the Outback Bowl simply because of who else cannot go to the Outback Bowl. So in at least according to the agreements and things. And sometimes I think those things get ripped up a little bit. If Indiana was in the Music City Bowl, they would kind of get flexed out a little bit. You'd, you'd, the rules would be bent a little bit, is my understanding, to get Indiana to Nashville. But the Outback Bowl supposedly cannot take Michigan, Iowa, or Wisconsin this season. This is the last year in their current agreement, and those teams have all exhausted their opportunities to play in the Outback Bowl. So there is a world where if Indiana was 8-4 and four and things fell out ahead of them in a certain way, I think they would essentially just sort of be flexed into the Outback Bowl because they were the only team that the Big Ten could comfortably send there. I do think they would have to be 8-4 and four for that to happen. And I still think that's, you know, that's, that's, that's very much one of those, it would be convenient that Indiana was 8-4, and four, but it would be about a lot, like, a lot of other things happening elsewhere and a lot of other moving parts, you know, being kind of the, um, the, the, the instigation for Indiana winding up there. My guess is that Indiana winds up in Nashville. That is my best guess. It's, it's not a perfect one. That said, um, I guess, well, number one, Indiana's still not sure where it's going. So I think Indiana's going to want to win from a bowl perspective just to give itself as much clarity as possible. But number two, I would also say I think there is a, a healthy amount of frustration 
about the way Indiana has performed in the last two bucket games internally. I think that this this is a team of players and coaches who know that the last two years in the bucket game they have struggled um, and that they have not put their best foot forward. And you know, both games I think are ultimately decided by a touchdown. But I think in both games it's probably fair to say Purdue felt in control. I mean, I think two years ago, Purdue was up 21 points. Right. Indiana scored a couple late touchdowns. Yeah. I think last season, it was a little closer through, but you still felt like most of that game, Purdue was in charge. Purdue was in control and Indiana was, was struggling to kind of find its feet. There is a, a, a definite sort of feeling I think in Indiana's mind that number one, winning the bucket is a way to kind of sign off on this season. Whatever happens in the bowl game is, is critically important. And number two, I think there's a, a lot of sort of bad taste in people's mouths from the way that Indiana itself has performed the last couple of years against Purdue that I think there's a real desire uh, to win this game and, and kind of put the last couple of seasons or the last couple of bucket games kind of, you know, consign them to history for good, if that makes sense. No, that does. And, I, you know, that, that probably sums it up uh, pretty well because Purdue, for the most part, these last two bucket games have, have controlled each game, even though the, the score ended up a little bit closer. Uh, but yeah, it will be interesting from a, uh, to me, from a motivation standpoint, you know, how things kind of play out on Saturday. Didn't want to talk to you a little bit about basketball. Uh, IU, uh, I believe they still haven't lost, right? They're still undefeated. Yeah. yeah. First 6 0 start since 2012, yeah. uh, 2012 13 season, that is. Yeah. Uh, now I know the the schedule hasn't been the, the greatest challenge in the world, but what have what have you gathered from these first six games about what what you've seen from IU basketball and what potentially lies ahead for this team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of by design. I mean, Indiana basically doesn't play anyone of note. Indiana's toughest game in November is Louisiana Tech, which is you know a. a Conference USA program that's won a lot of games in the last few years, but still isn't necessarily of that. You know, you're not talking about a, a true mid-major power. It's not a, a Wichita State or, or you know somebody like that. Kind of the old you know pre-Big East Butler. Um, but Indiana has a lot of new pieces in, in different places. I mean, it, they've, they've got two new freshmen in. Uh, both of them have started every game this far. I would expect Armand Franklin to maybe move a little bit more to the, the background once Indiana's guard rotation gets fully healthy, but um, Trace Jackson Davis is going to be a big piece all season long. Joey Brunk, Butler grad transfer, started every game this season as well. And then even a lot of the guys that you would you know call returners um, are stepping into new roles. So basically, when you figure how many more shots guys like Al Durham and Justin Smith are getting um, when you figure that Devontae Green has never really been asked to be elite scorer for a team in college, when you figure that guys like Jerome Hunter, Justin, or uh, Ray Thompson and Demasi Anderson have played little to no college basketball yet in their careers for different reasons, um, basically the only guy that's not being asked to uh fill a completely different role to what he's done the rest you know his career so far is Rob Fennessy who has been fighting injuries all you know basically since early October so Indiana needed this time I think to, to just kind of go through and I call them like I think a, a while ago I started calling these games controlled experiments opportunities to go in play 40 minutes against a live opponent make some mistakes adjust 
tinker, mess with formations, mess with rotations, figure out what works, what doesn't, and so on, and and not be in a position where you might be punished with a loss for it. Now, they finish up with South Dakota State on Saturday in a bizarrely scheduled game um, that, that, for reasons passing understanding, will take place at 4 p.m. and not, like, 8 p.m. Um, but after that, there's no more of this. They play Florida State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They go to Wisconsin. They play UConn in the Jimmy B Classic in New York. They play Nebraska at home, and then Notre Dame and Arkansas to finish out the non-conference schedule. So that there are no more of these easy games after this weekend. Um, but I think that this has been an important stretch for Indiana for some of these guys to step into new roles, for guys to really kind of work through, work out some of the kinks of the motion offense that they're running this season. Um, I think Archie Miller's always kind of wanted to run that motion, but it's, it's a lot crisper and a lot better than it's been, even against bad teams, frankly, um, over the last two seasons. And they've needed they've needed time to work on a defense that's still very much a work in progress. I think this team can be very good defensively because it can match up in a lot of different ways, and it can, it can throw a lot of different kinds of rotations at opponents. Uh, but it is not where it needs to be yet from a statistical perspective at that end of the floor. And so that's an area that I think Indiana is going to keep improving as the season goes on. Uh, just one more quick question from a Big Ten basketball standpoint. Anything strike you so far in the first first uh, yeah, three or four weeks of the season? <laughs> I mean, well, that's it's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think we all probably expect the Big Ten to be not quite as good you know, this season that the talent drain was going to hurt. And, you know, the coaching changes, losing John Beeline uh, at Michigan was probably going to prompt a, a little bit of a step back. And I think actually Michigan's at least been one of the teams that looks a little bit, you know, looks a little bit more stable right now. But, you know, Wisconsin's lost twice in two games in Brooklyn this week. Michigan State obviously lost it. They lose to Dayton. Or was it? No, they didn't lose to Dayton. Lost they to lost Virginia to Tech. Virginia Tech, the team picks to finish last in the ACC this year. Um, you know, I, I mean, I also just I agree with anyone who generally says that it it, it may not be a season for dominant teams in college basketball. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you know, if anything, that can make things a little bit more unpredictable and a little bit more fun as we get into. Um, you know, February and March. <laughs> I will say selfishly that I'm glad I'm no longer an AP Top 25 voter because I'd be pulling my beard out trying to sort through all this. I think we've seen three uh, AP number one teams already lose this season, and it's not even December. But, you know, the, it has surprised me, even going into the season, expecting the Big Ten maybe not to be quite as you know, talented as it's been in the recent past, it has frankly surprised me how much the Big Ten has struggled and how much we've seen teams like Michigan State and Wisconsin, the teams that you thought, hey, if there's if there's if there's if there's programs we can rely on here early in the year to, to kind of give us what we expect and, and to be what they normally are, it's the Michigan States, the Wisconsin's, you know, programs like that. Um, and to see those teams struggling, you know, it's a long season ahead. I'm not ruling them out of anything, but it, it does just make you realize this is going to be a, a real kind of rebuilding year in a lot of spots in the Big Ten. And 
I'm not going to make any grand proclamations about Indiana before I see them play an opponent, you know, of any real quality. But I will say that in general, it could be the kind of season that benefits a program like Indiana, a team like Indiana that maybe doesn't have a ton of expectation coming in, but might simply be able to get some wins on the fact that it's got balance, depth, and experience in a league that is struggling for some of those things right now in other places. All right. As always, good stuff from Zach. Uh, where, uh, where can people find you on Twitter, which I know you spend a lot of time at? Uh, yeah, I just tweet about soccer. Um, yeah, he does. Just, yes, that's it's true. It's just my name at C A C H O S T E R M A N. Um, and unfortunately, no, I am not related to the jewelers. That was a that was a minor source of disappointment when I first met my in laws. They is it is he, is he like the, the jeweler Osterman's? No, no, they pronounce it differently. He's he's from Atlanta. His uh, his dad works in PR, so. Well, but I, I will say that you are the crown jewel of the Indianapolis Star. How about that? Well, certainly at least the Bloomington Bureau, but that's because the rest of it's my dogs who are, you know, an absolute wreck, but are actually probably more popular, so I'm not even sure that's true. Well, no, it's true. My, it's true in my mind, and that's all I was going to say. I'll, I'll take it. It's, that's all I need. It's my podcast. I make the rules, and I get to say who's the crown jewel. I like that rule. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce that rule on my podcast. There you go. Zach, appreciate your time. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. I, I One more before we get out of here. What's your Thanksgiving plate look like on Thursday? You know, I don't know because I'm not, I'm not doing the meat this year. The last couple of years, I've actually smoked a brisket for Thanksgiving. I'm, I don't hate turkey like some people, but I do appreciate the, the turkey complaints that turkey is, is not a terribly flavor, flavorful meat and it's very easy to dry out. Um, I have really enjoyed doing the brisket on Thanksgiving the last couple of years, but I've got a 20 month old at home, and um, you know, just quite frankly, that's a lot of planning. Right. I'm a I'm a sides guy. I'm 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 very even when I was doing the brisket and all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm the guy that wants like a little bit of everything: the casserole, the stuffing, the macaroni and cheese, the mashed mashed potatoes with gravy. Um, I, I might be eating desserts but you're more likely to find me going back for more sides. Um, that is my, and, and keep in mind, I'm the guy that like when I was a kid, I go to Cracker Barrel and I get the sides plate and I just get like macaroni and cheese and fried okra and stuff like that. Um, Hash brown casserole, I hope. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> now you've got my attention. I think, I think my wife is making a, a derby pie, so oh, okay. I'll probably eat a slice of that. And she has an aunt that makes a really good uh, sort of banana pudding uh, kind of thing, but I'm I'm typically a sides like guru as it as it pertains to this. If we're talking about things I grew up eating, my grandmother would make all the most delightfully unhealthy Southern side dishes: biscuits, mashed potatoes with beef gravy, macaroni and cheese, uh, butter beans cooked in ham hock. Basically, everything cooked in ham hock. To be fair, but. Um, and so I think that's where probably that comes from. But I'm 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 going to be the guy that has like one slender slice of turkey, and then my plate is just going to be absolutely full of the dishes everybody's brought to to accentuate that. That's that's my move, and then I take a, a just a big old nap. Well, I hope the next time we have you on the podcast, you you'll tell the story of your 20 month old 
uh, now smoking the brisket instead of you. I think that should oh, be the first. I, first I, I mean, I, I'd be fine with that. I don't <laughs> think the brisket would get very smoked. I think he would <laughs> leave it, and I'd say, Jack, did you smoke the brisket? And he would say, no. <laughs> no. Because he is uh, he likes, he's got a little personality to him. He, he, he likes the word no, right? Uh, he, he likes a lot of words. He, he Yeah, he... He uh, just the other day walked up to my mother-in-law and said, "I farted." <laughs> so we're we're into that we're into that stage, I guess. He's no, he's he's delightful. He's got a lot of personality, a lot of energy, and uh, and he's got his. Uh, I fear his father's ADHD. So um, he is basically something new about every two and a half minutes. Well, that's the world we live in. I can't wait to see him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hold that off as long as possible. Alrighty, well, Zach, appreciate you joining us. Have a good holiday. Have a good bucket game, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you down the line. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. Once again, thanks uh, to Zach uh, for joining us, talking some football and some uh, some Big Ten hoops there as uh, the seasons uh, start to overlap a lot. Uh, of course, uh, Saturday, the old Oaken Bucket game at ross Age Stadium, kickoff at noon. Um, the weather is supposed to be rainy, uh, inclement weather, I believe, is the appropriate term. Some rainy, some rainy conditions, some wind. Uh, and uh, starting right there, as we you know, we kind of wrap up uh, Zach's conversation. But here's the thing that I that I would be looking for if we do if you do see the rain, you do see inclement weather. How do the Boilermakers handle it? You know, if you, if you go back the last two years, 2017 uh, at Minnesota, or I'm sorry, 2018 uh, at Minnesota, uh, where it was snowy, it was cold. Um, you know, Minnesota came out and hit Purdue in the mouth, and they just kind of disappeared. Uh, and it didn't show a lot of mental toughness that day. Uh, and then you go back to this year, the Illinois game, where it rained the whole game. Uh, Illinois got out in front. And then you had the big pick six that put him up by, uh, I think, 10 to nothing, uh, you know, with uh, Jack Plummer at quarterback. Uh, and, and, you know, Purdue, again, seemed disinterested in playing that game. Uh, and that was uh, not a good performance uh, that day. And it just didn't show a lot of mental toughness uh, in that game. So if there is bad weather on Saturday, and that's what the forecast is calling for, how do the Boilermakers handle that? And I, you know, to me, that's that, that's got to be a key component, you know, not only Saturday, but uh, going into next year. You know, you, you're going to play games at the Big Ten. You're going to play outdoors, uh, and you need to you need to show that uh, you can handle handle the conditions. Uh, it, it's just you know, you, you play this late in November, and you're going to get rain. You're going to get snow. Uh, you know, the Minnesota game this week with Wisconsin, I think. Uh, they're expecting snow uh, for that for that game, uh, so you, you know you've got you know you've got to deal with it. And to Jeff Brown's credit, since that uh, loss to Illinois, every practice that they've had, um, at least uh, Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Now I, I don't know where they go on Sunday. Whether they go outside uh, on Sundays for their their stretching and just kind of working out the kinks practice, but at least Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Ever since the Illinois game, they have they have practiced outside, and that included uh, Halloween when it snowed and it was snowing 
significantly in, in West Lafayette. And I don't know if that was uh, by design uh, for him uh, to, to keep his team out there. You know, even um, Wednesday today, the, the day that we taped this, uh, it was windy, it was cold, uh, the conditions were horrible. I mean, I don't know if you could get a lot done uh, from a practice standpoint. You couldn't from a kicking standpoint or a throwing standpoint, at least the deep passes because of the way, the, uh, how strong the winds were uh, today. And it was, it was cold and the temperature was dropping by the minute. But he kept him out there for a good two hours. And, you know, maybe he's trying to lay the foundation of a, you got to get tougher, you got to play through these things. And, you know, one day, you know, it needs to pay off for this program. When they get in bad weather situations, they need to, they need to play like they, they want to be out there. And the, the, the two games that I've talked about, and if you go back and watch, watch those games, uh, you can see a team in, in both cases that really didn't uh, want to be out there. Now, that's not across the board every player, but enough players were – uh, intimidated by the weather conditions, whether it be in Minnesota or the rain against Illinois, that it had it had a uh, it had a big effect on on the game. Now, if Purdue gets out in front against Illinois, and it, it might be a little different, but once they got behind, uh, there, there, it seemed it seemed to lack a little bit of energy there, uh, and, they, and you could kind of tell they were not going to be able to uh, to, to come back. So uh, that's a that's to me that's a big thing to watch, especially if the weather's bad. And, and, and how they handle that. And, um, you know, another another thing to watch for this game is just, um, you know, what, what does Aiden O'Connell do, uh, you know, in another step? This will be his, his first start at Ross-Aid Stadium. You know, he played at the end of the Nebraska game, uh, came in and led the game-winning drive. But, you know, the last two games he started were on the road. So this will be his first start at Ross-Aid Stadium, and it's the bucket game, and uh, it's a big game. Uh, you know, Purdue – Purdue needs to end the season on a high note. Um, you know, it hasn't been a great year. Uh, injuries have uh, kind of stripped away a, a little bit of that, but um, you can go back to the Nevada game, and, you know, we've talked about that a lot, where, you know, it's hard at the end of the year to go back. Well, if, if Purdue would have beaten Nevada, they would be sitting at five wins and have a chance. Well, it, yes, in, in theory, that's correct if the, if the rest of the season plays out the way it did. But if you beat Nevada, maybe – some of these other things don't happen from an injury standpoint or, um, you know, the way the games uh, play out. If you're, you know, if you're a little bit more healthy, then, then maybe you push past the five-win mark or the six-win mark by, by this time. Um, but in hindsight, and as, as I always say, and other people say it too, hindsight's undefeated. And if you go back and, you know, if they hold on to that, that, that lead against Nevada, then at least they're sitting with five wins with a chance to go to a bowl game and, um, and you would like their chances at this point. You know, Indiana doesn't, you know, from a bowl standpoint, doesn't have a lot to play for. Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, Zach talked about it. You know, I, I don't know how much they can move up. But, you know, he, he's right where if they have eight wins, they're they're more attractive to a, an outback bowl type of situation as opposed to being seven and five. So, you know, the bucket should be enough. Uh, motivation, at least on both sides. Purdue would like to keep it. I know Jeff Brown wants to keep it. Uh, you know, but the question is, are, are they going to have, have enough firepower uh, to get that done? Uh, and you know, through the air, I think they do. They just have they've they've really really struggled to 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 uh, run the ball this year, and I, I don't see that changing 
uh, this week. You know, that's something that needs to be addressed in a lot of areas as you get as you get into the off season, and they have to figure out a way to have a little bit more of a, of a running attack and a running game uh, as uh, as they get into uh, 2020. I think some pieces are in place to do that, uh, especially at the running back position. But, you know, they're going to need some help on the offensive line and some immediate help on the offensive line, and that comes in the in the form of grad transfers uh, and or junior college players who can come in and, and play immediately. Meanwhile, you still have to develop the guys on your roster to get them ready to play, get some more depth on the offensive line, and start the process of not having to fill as many holes in that group because uh, this year, you know, as you know, you started with uh, didn't you needed three new starters, and they were all coming from within the program, and there were just too many question marks uh, going into this season. Uh, on a basketball note, uh, as you know, Purdue's going to play two games down in Florida starting Friday. They have VCU uh, Friday night at nine thirty, and then they'll either play Tennessee or Florida State uh, Saturday. Uh, consolation games at four thirty Eastern time. And the championship games at seven o'clock uh, Eastern time, uh, and uh, you know I'll be down in Florida to cover basketball. Sam King's going to handle the football duties on Saturday from Ross Aid. Sam also will be covering Central Catholic's uh, uh, bid for a another state championship uh, Friday afternoon from Lucas Oil Stadium. So you know check in with him uh, to see what uh, what's going on on Friday, and then follow him on Saturday uh, from Ross Aid Stadium as uh, the Boilermakers wrap up. Uh, their their 2019 season uh, against Indiana. And in case you haven't heard, or you know you, you're gonna you're gonna listen to this before uh, uh, Thursday, you know Thanksgiving. Then uh, David Blau, uh, the former Purdue quarterback, uh, is going to get the start uh, for the Detroit Lions against the Bears. Uh, Thanksgiving, I believe that game kicks off at 12:30 Eastern time. Uh, so good for David. You know, as you know, I'm. If you're a follower of this, you understand I'm a Bears fan. Uh, but you know, I you'd like to see David do well, but not, not, not set the world on fire <laughs> against the Bears. Even though, you know, their playoff chances are, are slim and none. Uh, but David's going to get his first start. Uh, and, you know, I think it's it's good for him. You know, you, you got to be happy for him that he's going to get in this get this opportunity and. Uh, you just hope he walks out of there in, in one piece and doesn't say hello to Khalil Mack or any of those other defenders who seem to fly around at a high rate of speed, and uh, he's going to have to get rid of the ball. But anyway, that's something to watch on Thursday. You know, Drew Brees is going to start at quarterback uh, as as usual uh, Thursday night, so you got a double barrel of Purdue quarterbacks going on Thanksgiving Day. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Aiden O'Connell will make his first start uh, at, at Ross-Ade Stadium on Saturday, so kind of a – a Thanksgiving weekend of uh, Purdue quarterback uh, um, appetizers, main dish, and desserts. I guess for 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 the uh, for the holiday weekend, enough to keep you uh, your Purdue fans uh, busy uh, in front of the TV uh, from a from a football standpoint. Uh, but again, yeah, I'll be in Florida covering basketball uh, Friday night. We'll do a, a post game uh, podcast uh, following the the VCU game, and then come back. Uh, Saturday night after either the consolation game uh, or the championship game. Uh, once again, appreciate Zach's time uh, today, uh, breaking down Indiana and, and talking a little bit of, of basketball and getting the insight on his 20-month-year-old 20, 20, uh, 20, uh, uh, 
to kind of see where he he's at in his uh, progression and maturity right now. And as always, the, he has a long way to go. But Zach will get him in get him in uh, fine uh, order uh, as as his life uh, as his life moves on. Appreciate you listening. Uh, appreciate you subscribing. Uh, and uh, please tell your friends, neighbors, and loved ones, and uh, you know, feel free to give the podcast as a Christmas gift as we get into the month of December. Have a good day, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, later in the weekend from Florida after uh, the basketball games.